So if you've clicked on this video, I think it's safe to assume that you've already seen the Ryan Reynolds official Deadpool 3 announcement video. And that's what we're going to be addressing here, right here, right now. And overall, uh, my thoughts are this caught me, this caught me by surprise. I didn't expect to hear anything about this film. You know, we've known that it's coming. We know that it's in pre-production. Ryan Reynolds has kind of given little updates here and there regarding the script and the progression in that. Uh, but I didn't expect to hear anything in regards to this film till sometime next year, like an official announcement. Um, definitely didn't expect to hear anything about Hugh Jackman. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, but this was much needed after what was a very lackluster D23 presentation, in my opinion. I think this entire announcement in and of itself was not only more engaging, was more fun, and was more exciting than anything that was discussed at D23. But I'm not going to go on about D23. I've already shared my thoughts and opinions on that. Um, but yeah, I was driving home today from somewhere. I was driving home from the city. And about halfway home, I got a notification from YouTube. Uh, and it said official Deadpool 3 announcement. But it was from a channel that I don't normally watch. And I know that this channel likes to make a lot of concept trailers for movies coming out. So I kind of ignored it and I didn't really pay attention to it. Um, and then once I got home after driving, I looked at my phone again and then boom, there was just video after video after video. I'm sure when this video uploads, it's going to be probably flooded by tons of other people talking about it. And then I watched the video and as soon as I could tell, well, obviously Ryan Reynolds was in the video, but I could just tell that by the quality uh, and by sort of the format being very tongue uh, in cheek, I can tell that this was definitely a Deadpool 3 announcement. And as soon as I saw Hugh Jackman walk behind um, Ryan Reynolds in the video, I, I was just grinning ear to ear. I knew exactly what was going on at that point. Um, I saw a video, I saw an interview with Sean Levy uh, when he was promoting The Atom Project. And he did kind of tease that we could be seeing uh, Hugh Jackman return and uh, a star in this film. And I'm very, very excited. Now, a lot of people, including Ryan Reynolds in the uh, in the the uh, the announcement video, he said that, do you want to return to play Wolverine one more time, Hugh? And, and a lot of people are, are, are saying, rightfully so, that this is going to be the last time we're going to see Hugh Jackman uh, return to play this character. And I actually don't think so. In fact, I think this is probably the first of either two or three appearances we're going to be seeing Hugh Jackman return. I certainly believe we're going to be seeing Hugh Jackman return in uh, in Avengers Secret Wars. And obviously now we're seeing him return in this. And I can even see him returning in some project between that time and some kind of unannounced project, uh, maybe some sort of mutant project that's happening. I don't believe we're going to be getting a whole new X-Men roster till many years from now, but I think we could be seeing him return for quite a few more projects. And I'm definitely convinced by no proof at all, but I'm just I'm just convinced in my head that we're going to see Hugh Jackman return um, in Avengers Secret Wars in 2025. But this is very, very exciting. And I, I loved this announcement. I thought it was great. I, I, I love that it was just out of, out of the blue. There was no kind of buildup. It just dropped on YouTube, dropped all over social media. And that was that. And now everybody is freaking out. And if anybody was kind of speculating if, if Deadpool was going to, in fact, be in the MCU or if he was going to be sort of MCU adjacent, I think this pretty much kind of blankets that conversation because Ryan Reynolds straight up says in this advertisement, we want, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, we want the first MCU introduction to Deadpool to be special. So I think that right, right, right there just kind of confirms that he will, in fact, be in the MCU. We will, in fact, see him starring and probably uh and you know other other marvel character films so if there was any doubt in that regard i think that definitely blankets that um my overall thoughts is i'm very very excited about this i love hugh jackman as wolverine i'm glad we're going to be finally seeing him and ryan reynolds team up in a film they they have this funny online banter that they've been kind of building up for years and i think it's all been leading to this and i'm sure they've probably known that this I'm sure they've known that this is going to be happening for a long time. I'm sure Hugh Jackman probably signed on to star in this film months ago, maybe even last year, who knows, or maybe not that long ago, but 
I'm sure they've probably been sitting on this, wanting to announce this to the public for a while. And I love, once again, I mentioned how this whole thing was very tongue in cheek. Ryan Reynolds, I, I, I like he embodies, even in his own life and his own kind of marketing, he embodies a lot of the sort of fourth wall breaking that Wade Wilson does in the film. Um, he, he addresses that Deadpool wasn't announced at D23. I like stuff like that. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I think this was a much needed announcement. This has kind of gotten me very excited. Not that I'm not excited for the future of Marvel. I think Wakanda Forever, which we will talk about shortly. I think that is, uh, I think we're in for a very, very good, uh, possibly great film uh, in that regard. But I'm incredibly excited for this. And we have a, an official release date. This film will be coming out September 6, 2024. Not surprised. Um, not surprised that that's the release date, but I am still surprised that we got such a sudden announcement for the film this early because that is almost, that's that's basically two years away, just under two years away from now. Um, so the fact that we're getting an announcement this soon is, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, but I want to touch on something real quick. Uh, not many people are talking about this, but so I saw the announcement on YouTube but then I watched the announcement again on Instagram and there was quite a few celebrities that commented on the announcement video, but one of them was John Krasinski. And of course, John Krasinski has been in many different discussions across fandom, uh, people speculating if he's going to be returning to play Reed Richards or not. And he said something very interesting. Now, let me know if I am reading into this too much, uh, but he said, wait, dot, 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 is this our movie? Um, quite interesting. And, and, and he's got, it's got 21,000 likes. I'm looking at the comment section. Everybody right now is, is posting the sort of glo uh, glossy eyed emoji. Everyone's like, Oh my God, fantastic four confirmed. It's not necessarily a confirmation that he's going to be in the MCU, but now I definitely think it is likely. Now there's one of two ways you could look at that comment. Maybe he's referring to the fact that behind the scenes, him and Ryan Reynolds, are going to be starring in, in a movie together. Maybe it's a MCU, maybe it's a non-MCU related film. Maybe he was just kind of joking around saying, is this the movie that you and I are supposed to be in? So maybe it's something separate from the superhero genre. Maybe it's something entirely different. Um, or maybe it is some kind of hint that, you know, is this is this my movie with you and Reed Richard? Like, who knows? Let me know down in the comments if I'm just not reading this correctly. Um, but the fact that it's John Krasinski, like he's not an idiot. I'm sure he probably like all of these celebrities before they, I mean, most of the time before they post something on social media, they address it with their publicist. They address that. Is this giving away too much? Is this, is this okay? Is it not okay? Should I say less? Should I say more? So this I'm sure was calculated and I'm sure he didn't just type this in and throw it. I'm sure he definitely thought twice about what he was putting in that comment section. And he's not an idiot. He knows the fans speculation regarding him and Reed Richards. So I'm sure he probably knew what he was doing. Uh, so for me, I'm not going to consider a confirmation that he is in fact playing Reed Richards because we haven't had any official confirmation about the cast of Fantastic Four, except for the writers, which were recently announced. And of course, Matt Shackman was announced at D23. So Overall, I'm very, very excited to see Hugh Jackman uh, returning as a character. And one more thing about him specifically. So I've seen a lot of, you know, this is definitely a rumor, by the way. So, you know, take this what I'm with, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But there has been a rumor in many different reports saying that the new roster of whatever the actors and actresses of the new X-Men roster, we will not see them until most likely after the multiverse saga, meaning at the very minimum, 2026. And the reason for that, the reason why we're not going to see the new X-Men actors till then is because apparently, I want to make that very clear, apparently that the previous actors and actresses who were, of course, the faces of the X-Men franchise when, when they were previously owned by Fox, their contracts are tethered until 2025. So legally, Marvel, they own the rights to those characters, but they can't recast them until 2026. I don't know if that's true or not. I've just been kind of seeing that float around the internet. That may be true. That may be not. That's just a rumor. Um, but it kind of makes sense now that we're seeing 
Hugh Jackman return for. As I mentioned, it could be just this last appearance or it could be several more. I personally believe it will be several more appearances. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. This may open the door for maybe uh, James McAvoy could be returning to play Charles Xavier. Who knows? I think the sky's the limit, especially with Secret Wars coming. I think we could even be seeing Ben Affleck return as Daredevil. We really don't know. Um, and I, I think now that we're seeing Hugh Jackman return, I, I'm convinced that we will see other previous actors from the Fox X-Men universe. I'm, I'm convinced that we'll see some of them, not all of them, but some of them return in some way, shape or form. I mean, we've already seen Evan Peters as, uh, you know, Ralph Boner, Quicksilver. I feel like they're going to readdress that at some point, but that is, uh, those are my thoughts on this Deadpool 3 announcement. I'm very, very excited. I love the logo. I love the, uh, Wolverine shredding with the three, you know, the three, uh, claw marks indicating, of course, the third film in the franchise. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Are you excited for this? Uh, let's talk about it down in the comments below. So now we're going to be talking about some news regarding Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, and we have an official, it's basically, we basically have an official runtime. And then we have some news regarding the character origins of Namor in this film. So both pretty exciting. Now let's address the runtime first. The last two Marvel films, um, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder, were basically two hours on the dot. Um, and that's including credits. So, and I'm not going to lie, I think both of those films, specifically uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, I feel would have benefited with a little bit of a lengthier runtime, possibly like maybe something like two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 25 minutes, something along that range. Um, and we are definitely in for a longer film with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I'm very happy to see that because the other day I was, I was just thinking about this. I was like, man, are they really going to make this film you know, hit that kind of two hour mark again. Like, is this the, is this going to be a trend that we're seeing moving forward with the Marvel films? I've even been thinking about that with Secret Wars and the King Dynasty. I'm really hoping those films are, you know, I hope they get some breathing room that they deserve. Like, of course, Infinity War and Endgame. But back to the topic here. According to Hollywood Reporter, this is quote, Ryan Coogler's upcoming sequel, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, sports a running time of two hours and 41 minutes according to the major theater chains that have started posting their information about the movie on their websites. So the big trades like Hollywood Reporter, The Rap, Variety, if they report something, it's basically is as good as confirmed. So I'm going to take this uh, as official to me. Um, of course, this could change, but I highly doubt it. Uh, two hours and 41 minutes. That is incredible. And I think uh, the article further went on to explain that this is now the second longest Marvel film just behind Avengers Endgame. And I think that's fantastic. And I think a lot of that runtime is going to be dedicated to honoring Chadwick Boseman and, of course, the T'Challa character. Um, I'm glad, once again, that we're getting that extra 40 minutes beyond the two hours. Otherwise, I'm, I was worried that they were kind of just going to sort of like br brush through the whole, you know, the um, the death of Chadwick Boseman. But I'm glad that it seems like uh, Bob Chapek and all the executives have kind of given Marvel that that wiggle room to say, okay, you know what, run, run free. Just do whatever you can. Make sure you're telling a good story. So that excites me very, very much. Now, uh, let's address Namor. So according to comic book, CBR.com, uh, this is quote, Tanosh Herta, part of my mispronunciation, spoke to Empire for its Black Panther 2 cover story and revealed that Namor will in fact be a mutant in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. While director Ryan Coogler and Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige hasn't confirmed the major detail, it's safe to assume the actor playing the character would be in the know. I mean, I definitely agree with that last sentence. Uh, I think if the actor himself is saying it, I think he definitely... Uh, I think he's. I think he's correct. I think he's absolutely right. And anybody that's familiar with Namor, one of the oldest uh, characters in Marvel Comics, has been a mutant before. Uh, I think he's always been a mutant, and I think that's pretty interesting. So now we have two staple. We uh, officially we have two staple characters in the MCU that are have been named technically as mutants: Miss Marvel, and now Namor. And I think just. My thoughts on this, 
I think where we're going in terms of the inevitable mutants announcement in the MCU, I think that we are starting to see and the seeds are starting to be slowly planted that mutants have been here possibly this whole time. I was actually just having a conversation about this with my friend the other day, and I actually said that I don't believe that's what they're doing, but now that we know that Namor has has been a mutant, and that might, that might mean that maybe his his sort of people, the Atlanteans, or, 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 um, or whatever they're calling uh, the sort of underwater whatever environment in the film, I, I, think there's a, I think they're actually doing something different than Atlantis, but maybe they're all mutants as well, and I've heard some people talk about that as well. So... I almost think that where Marvel could be going with this, it's like all of a sudden, all these different superheroes are finding out and realizing that we're not just superheroes. We we are we're mutants. We have a mutation in our DNA. I think in the comics they're called uh, Homo Superiors instead of Homo Sapiens. And I think they're going to sort of band together. Like, you know, we need to sort of come together. We're different than the Avengers. We're different than all these other superheroes. I'm just spitballing off the top of my head at this point. I have no idea if that's going to be true or not. Maybe they're going to go in, in some completely different route. But I think that, as I've mentioned, not to kind of repeat myself, but I think as time goes on and we're getting closer and closer to getting the new X-Men roster, I think it's going to sort of organically flow together just by all these different heroes finding out that, okay, I'm a mutant, you're a mutant. Well, there must be other of us out there. Let's go find our, let's go find each other. Let's, let's, let's meet each other. Maybe, and then I think, that's sort of how things will kind of branch off. Who knows? Let me know your theories in the comments below. I'm also not a, a, a sort of avid comic book reader. I just know subtle things from the research and the videos that I've watched on YouTube and some of the comics that I read as a kid. So I'm not this kind of hard hardcore comic book uh, reader. And obviously Marvel never co copies the comics, but they definitely pull a lot of inspiration from the source material. So... Uh, if you know more about that stuff than I do and you have your own theory about how the X-Men are going to be introduced, I would love to hear it. Let me, let me know down in the comments below. But as we're approaching Black Panther Wakanda forever, I'm getting increasingly more excited. And I will be quite honest with you, and you, you can call this a hot take, whatever. I think I'm actually maybe not more excited for this film than Spider-Man No Way Home, but I'm more interested, right? And what's what's the separation there, right? A lot of people watching will probably think, well, that's that, that's the same thing. With Spider-Man No Way Home, we all knew that Toby and Andrew were going to be in this film. So there was that excitement for that. With Black Panther Wakanda Forever, there's no crazy cameos that are being teased, at least not that we've heard of, but I'm very interested in this film. And I'm actually more interested in this, in this film than I was for Spider-Man No Way Home because of different kind of storylines that they're going to have to deal with. First of all, Wakanda's exposed, right? And now that they've lost their leader, they're, they're, they're sort of vulnerable. They're, they're, they're basically defenseless from the world and obviously within the world now that they've admitted to everybody that they have all these resources like vibranium, like all these different kind of technological resources, people are inevitably going to try and take advantage of that. And now that they've lost their king, how are they going to be able to sort of defend themselves past the, you know, obviously the Dormelage and other things that they have at their disposal? Uh, well, not disposal, but as at their defense, and so that's one thing. Then the next thing they have to obviously address is black is is T'Challa, right? I've talked about this before. Are they, and I'm confident that they will, are they going to honor the character of T'Challa and honor Chadwick Boseman? Or are they going to, hopefully not, I don't think they will, or are they going to tell the story in a way that almost exploits his death? I, I almost don't even, I almost wish I didn't even say that because I'm confident that Ryan Coogler doesn't want to be the person to do that. I think he's definitely going to tell the story in an elegant and a very beautiful way. So that's the separation for me. I was definitely more excited for Spider-Man No Way Home. We all knew Toby and Andrew and of course the previous uh, villains from the different Spider-Man franchises were going to return. We were all excited for that, but I'm more interested in how they're going to tell the story in this film. So that's my thoughts let me know how you guys feel. Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out in less than two months, if my memory serves me correctly. So I am very, very excited. And I, and I will be there opening night. So uh, let's have a conversation about it down in the comments below. 
So speaking of sudden announcements, there was another one that happened yesterday and I was originally going to do a podcast yesterday all about this and, and a couple other topics that we'll discuss later in today's podcast. Um, but I just didn't have the time. I had, I had to go to a couple meetings with some people. Um, but that's the last of us teaser. So this is a series that I have been patiently waiting to hear more about for quite a while now. Uh, of course I play the last of us part one and part two. Um, and I've been intrigued, especially when I heard that Pedro Pascal is going to be playing Joel. Um, and I'm not too familiar with the actress who's playing Elliot. I know that she, if my memory serves me correctly, I know that she was in Game of Thrones and a couple of other things, but I'm just really, really excited to hear that not only is Pedro Pascal, Pedro Pascal going to be playing Joel, but we have Neil Druckmann who I think wrote, produced, uh, and is basically kind of like one of the showrunners and I think even directed an episode of this whole series which is nice because if you don't know who Neil Druckmann is he's basically the lead director of the entire Last of Us both games um, and I'm very very excited now we got a sort of sizzle reel a couple weeks ago uh, showing the the upcoming HBO series and movies that are going to be coming in the near to distant future and we got like 10 seconds of footage of the Last of Us and obviously now I wanted to see more and now they dropped the official teaser. Uh, and I am incredibly excited. So we obviously got a glimpse of the world of The Last of Us. We see the fireflies. We even saw a quick glimpse of the clickers uh, or a clicker. I think actually, I think we actually got a couple. We got one shot right towards the end. And then there was like kind of a kind of a shot of Ellie and Joel crouching behind some sort of desk. And you could see that there was out of focus, like a, a shot of them in the background. That was exciting, and I like that we can sort of tell that they're using practical effects for the clickers. They're not using CGI, and if they are using CGI, hats off to you because that looks that looks real. <laughs> um, and I'm just I, I want to see more. And I was curious, so I looked at the cast and the crew regarding the rest of the characters in the Last of Us universe. So I'm just gonna kind of run through it here. So of course we have Pedro Pascal as Joel, uh, Bella Ramsey. That's the actress who's playing Ellie. Uh, we have Gabriel Luna as Tommy. I can't remember. I recognize him. I feel like I've seen him from somewhere else. But anyways, uh, we have Nick Offerman playing Bill. I love Nick Offerman in uh, the 21 Jump Street films. And uh, what's that one show? Parks and Rec. He's playing Bill, who is the guy that uh, in the game when Joel and Ellie need to like get a vehicle. I haven't played the first game in so long, so I'm definitely going to be... My timeline's going to be off here, but there's a point in the game when you and Ellie need to get a vehicle because you're because you're trying to get to Washington, I believe, or Seattle, uh, and you realize that on foot it's going to take forever. And then you find this guy named Bill, and he gives you some parts and some supplies and stuff like that. I think could be wrong. Uh, Anna Torv playing Tess. I'm excited for this. Anna Torv. Uh, I hope you're pronouncing that correctly. Uh, she was in Mindhunter, and I loved her in Mindhunter, and she's been in some other projects as well. Then we have Con O'Neill uh, playing Bill. Uh, this actor is a pretty underrated actor. Not enough people talk about him. If you've seen the Chernobyl series, and I'm pretty sure someone from the Chernobyl series, like one of the head uh, developers, showrunners, whatever, I think he's also a part of the show as well. I think he's sort of helping orchestrate it. Um, but yeah, Chernobyl is one of my favorite limited series of all time. I just spit on my computer. And Con O'Neill was one of the main supporting characters in that uh, in that series. And he even had a small role as one of the GCPD police officers in the Batman. Uh, he's got such an iconic voice. Um, he is playing Neil. Uh, or no. Oh, sorry. I made a little mistake in my notes. Nick Offerman is playing Bill. Con O'Neill is playing... What is happening here? Okay, I don't know what character he's playing, but he's in the, he's in the game. He's in or he's in the show, so that's exciting nonetheless. I think he's a very talented act, actor. Uh, yeah, and on my notes here, I have Neil Druckmann helped write, produce, and direct some of the episodes. Of course, in television, it's uh, it's it's normal to have a different, multiple different directors for all for many of the different episodes, unless it's a case like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, when you have Vince Gilligan kind of show running everything. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very excited for this. Now, in regards to, like I said, The Last of Us, the games itself, um, I wonder how they're going to tell the story because obviously it is a very long, lengthy story, the first game and the second game. So they definitely could have made this into a film, but I think it was probably a better choice to make it into a series. That way they can tell 
all of the story in its entirety, or at least most of it. Because I feel like if they did a film, they would basically have to take the bullet points and eliminate some of the other stuff that many fans love and probably have to adapt and create some new things to kind of throw in there. And I'm sure they're definitely going to adapt some things and maybe add some new things, but I feel like with the show being a series, it's going to give them a lot of room to address a lot of... I'm sure they're not going to copy everything beat by beat in The Last of Us first game, but I feel like they're going to stay pretty faithful uh, to that first game, especially with Neil Druckmann on... uh, uh, a part of this. So yeah, let me know what you guys think. Uh, are you happy with the cast and the crew? Um, I wonder how many episodes this is. Cause I don't, that I do not know. Let me find that out right here. How many episodes is the last of us? HBO. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Can you guys hear my stomach? My stomach is going off right now. The Last of Us. Come on, show me. HBO TV show. How many episodes? Okay, let's see. 10. 10 episodes. I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. Uh, it's not going to overstay its welcome. And it's not going to be... It's not going to be like the Disney plus Marvel shows and there's only 6 episodes. In reality, those shows... The 6 episode shows should be like 10 episodes. Like Moon Knight. I feel like Moon Knight definitely would have benefited from more episodes, but not to get sidetracked. So yeah, I am incredibly excited. Um, I haven't even played The Last of Us in such a long time. I basically have quit playing video games. I've reached a point in my life where, this is just me personally, many people can balance this, but I feel like video games just take so much time away from me. Uh, I'm less productive. You know, I'll try and sit there and say, like, okay, I'm going to play for like an hour and then I'll go back to the priorities that I have to do and work on that. And then the, an hour goes by and I'll, I'll start working on those priorities, but my mind is already kind of like out of, out of focus, out of, out of a loop. Cause now I've, I'm like, I almost want to be more lazy. So I basically eliminated video games from my life, uh, just because I think from, you know, a productive standpoint i'm more productive when i don't play them but when i did play them the last of us was one of my favorite titles to play uh and i personally i think the last of us part two is better you know hate me if you want just my opinion and i respect yours so let me know your excitement down this down in the comments below for this so now i'm going to give my review for don't worry darling and before i get into my thoughts uh, I'm not going to be talking about all the stuff that's been speculated and, you know, all the drama that's going on with the film and the media with all the behind the scenes stuff. I don't really care about that. If it was something extreme, then I would talk about it. But in this case, I'm not going to talk about that. So now that we've got that out the way, uh, my general thoughts is I enjoyed the film. I think it was solid and, you know, I, I have some issues, but I have a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. Now let's get into the positives. First of all, the production d- design. I loved this sort of 1950s suburban neighborhood that we see. Uh, if you've seen the film, uh, Edward Scissorhands, now I know that film does not take place in the 1950s, but sort of how the neighborhood looked, all the houses kind of had a similar aesthetic to them uh, in Edward Scissorhands. I got that same kind of impression uh, in this film. Um, maybe that was not the greatest sort of comparison, different worlds, different films, but that was sort of my immediate thought. Uh, the production design was great. Loved it. And for me, my two favorite characters, my MVPs in this film were Florence Pugh and Chris Pine. I think Florence Pugh is continuing to prove that she is one of the best actresses, best young actresses we have working today in Hollywood. She has so much emotional range. Uh, and I think from a pure acting perspective, this might be her her best performance yet. Uh, yes, better than Midsummer. Uh, and, and honestly better than I think her other projects and Chris Pine. I loved Chris Pine. Chris Pine is pretty much good at anything. Uh, but particularly in this, he had a very kind of mischievous sort of darkness to his character, uh, very cult like feeling with his character. And I think that was on purpose, uh, creepy. And I loved him. I, I loved him in this film. He plays sort of the guy that's running the whole victory project as they call it. And I thought he was great. Uh, so those, those for me are the positives. Now, I think for me, the negatives would be, I think this film should have, okay, what I'm about to say is going to be a spoiler. I'm going to address the, 
reveal of the the plot twist of what happened in the film because for me it's kind of a negative so we find out towards the end of the film that this whole you know uh reality and this whole the, the the whole victory project is basically just um this sort of like technology this sort of ai system that that we see it, it's very it felt very similar to Black Mirror. We see that Harry Styles wanted to spend... It's very fucked up, to be honest. He wanted to spend more time with Florence Pugh, his wife, in the film. Because we, we find out that she's a nurse and that she works long hours. And it seems like, to me at least, that she's basically supporting him. He seems like he doesn't have a job. And he hates his life. And he hates the, the life, the sort of mundane, day-to-day -day schedule that him and her have to deal with. So he sees that there, there, there's a sort of this kind of program, it's like this sort of, uh, I don't even know how to properly explain it. You put these like, you basically have to drug the person uh, and hook them up with this device that kind of flickers over their eyes. It's like this technology and it basically puts them in this other, it's almost like VR. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Um, now, I said in my out of theater reaction, I appreciated that it was original and I still say that in air quotes because it was original, but it felt so much like an episode of Black Mirror that I just, I felt like a very long episode of Black Mirror and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Black Mirror is one of my favorite anthology series of all time. Uh, but I, I, I feel like I wanted a little bit more with that twist. I appreciated it, but I personally would have liked to see something different. Um, Personally, for me, I thought they were going to go in the sort of Manhattan Project route. I, you know, they even tease that early in the film. And I think once they tease that, that, oh, I, I heard that there's one of one of the wives there. There's that scene when they're speculating uh, Olivia Wilde's character, Florence Pugh's character, and, and the, I forget the actress. Uh, but they're all kind of talking about, you know, what is a victory project? And she explains that, you know, I hear that they're doing nuclear testing underground. So I feel like once they... Once they speculated that early in the, within the first 45 minutes, I, I, I thought, well, okay, now they're definitely not going to be doing that because now they've basically just revealed that. So that's what I was kind of hoping for. I thought that would have been pretty cool. And then maybe the climax is like the ground beneath them is, you know, about to explode or something. I don't know. Uh, but clearly Olivia Wilde and, and the people who wrote the screenplay thought that this was a better idea. And I don't think it was horrible, but that's probably my biggest gripe. Um, and, and another thing, I feel like it, the film had a little bit of a longer, uh, longer, longer, can't speak today, a bit of a longer rung time. They could have actually fleshed out that twist a little bit more and made it a little bit more kind of clever and unique. Cause I feel like once it happened, it happened. There really wasn't a buildup to it, or I feel like the buildup didn't feel I wasn't satisfied with the buildup with what we got at the end. I feel like if they would have flushed it out a little bit more, it might have felt a little bit more satisfying towards the end. So that's overall my review. I still thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think people are hating on it just for the sake of all the drama that's going on. I feel like it's the cool thing now to just, you know, people can't create their own opinion. They see that, oh, this is happening. Like I said, unless it's something extreme and I'm not even going to speculate on extreme. We all know what those kind of extreme situations are, whether there's like an assault or something, of course, then you, you don't support the film. But if it's just like he said, she said stuff like, oh, this person disappeared on set, this person, whatever, whatever. Bar, like I said, barring something extreme, people will just, you know, they just like to be a part of these groups and say, oh, you didn't like the film. I didn't like the film either because that's the trending thing to, to, to do right now. And I feel like this film is kind of getting a little bit of a bad rap. Um, that's just for me personally. You can whatever, call me a shill, call me a whatever you want. I don't really care. That's just my opinion. Um, was it a masterpiece? No. Was it my top five film of the year? No. Uh, but I, do I think it's a solid film and did I, did I really enjoy it? Yes, I did. Uh, I'd probably give it like a 7 out of 10 to be quite honest with you, but that's just me. Um, and the last thing I'll address is Harry Styles. And not the not the drama of Harry Styles with Olivia Wilde and all that stuff that's been talked about. Uh, his performance, because a lot of people have had a magnifying glass on him, and rightfully so. Because we're starting to see that more and more he's... 
I wouldn't say transitioning from music to film. I think he's doing both. Uh, but where he start, he's starting to kind of act more and more. We first saw him in Dunkirk, and then we didn't really see him after that for a while. Now we know he's going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We saw him introduced as uh, Eros in Eternals. Uh, and now he's in this, and I know he had a film at TIFF that I did want to see, but I didn't get a chance to see the My Policeman film. So he's starting to act more. Uh, and he had pretty much one of the biggest supporting roles in this film as the Jack character. And my thoughts on his acting were, I think his acting was fine. I, I, I really didn't have an issue with it. Sure, I think the scenes that might have asked for a little bit more emotional range... I think uh, maybe could have used a little bit of improvement. That's just my opinion. There's a couple times where he's kind of holding a, like, a, like a look on his face, like a, like a look of anger. And to me, those kind of moments didn't come off as natural. But aside from that, basically a minor nitpick, uh, I think his acting was fine. It didn't take me out of it. Now, originally, uh, Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be playing the character of Jack. And I feel like... Shia LaBeouf, if he were playing this character, I feel like he would have he would have added a little bit more depth and a little bit more emotional range than Harry Styles did. Because for the most part, while I think Harry Styles' acting was fine, I don't think the I don't think the character of Jack was very memorable in any way. To be quite honest with you, so I feel like if Shia LaBeouf was in this film, not only would would have um, Florence Pugh's character, because I think she's probably the best performer in the film just just in my opinion but I think her not only her character would have been as memorable I think Shia LaBeouf as Jack would have been a little bit a little bit memorable as well um because that's really the thing that's going to stick with me moving when I think about this film is Florence Pugh and Chris Pine I'm not really going to think about Harry Styles because I think like I said his acting was just okay uh it wasn't bad uh, but it wasn't great so that's just my thoughts on that but if you enjoyed Don't Worry Darling, let me know what you guys think about the film down in the comments below. Now, let's move on to the next topic, discussing Werewolf by Night. So, yeah, Werewolf by Night was one of the few, pretty much only thing that was new that was announced at D23. Now, I say new, but we all knew it was coming, or at least the people that pay close attention to the kind of Marvel stuff. Uh, we all heard about it in the trades, but... Marvel gave the official word that Werewolf by Night is indeed, the Halloween special is indeed coming uh, to Disney Plus very, very shortly. And now, uh, people, you know, press, things of that nature, they've all seen it and they've given their reviews. And it's basically been nothing but positive reception. So, let's go over uh, some of these reviews here. Um, I'm not sure why it's not going through here. But yeah, I was, looking, I was looking some of them over a little bit earlier and they were pretty... They're pretty intriguing, so let's see here. Um, first word, okay, yeah. Okay, so let me scroll down. So these are some tweets. Uh, scroll to the top here. What's going on here? Okay. Sorry, this is taking me a little long. Okay, so here we go. Uh, I'm just going to read like four of them. I mean, at that point, people will get the picture. Loved Werewolf by... Uh, this is, comes from Steven Weintraub. Uh, he's from Collider. He says, loved Werewolf by Night. Uh, Michael Giacchino knocked it out of the park with this at Marvel Studios directorial debut and hoping he's, and I hope, or and hope he's directing again soon. Surprised how much he got away with uh, and so happy unlike anything else Marvel has done. So that's pretty intriguing. So yeah, that, that's worth noting too. This is Michael Giacchino directing this. Michael Giacchino has, of course, made an incredible name and reputation for himself as a composer, uh, I, I loved what he did on the Batman. Uh, and of course he's done the score for many other films. He's made a name for himself and that that's, that's been, that's been him. Um, he's never directed anything before. And once I heard that he was directing this, I thought that was pretty interesting. And it kind of makes sense. Cause you got to think after working in, in the industry for decades, like he has, he's probably picked up on techniques that he's seen from very talented directors. And I, he probably was confident enough to say like, you know, I think I'm ready to take on this challenge. Uh, but let's continue here. So. Uh, the next one comes from James Viscardi. The Marvel Disney Plus shows have been a bit all over the map quality-wise, but Werewolf by Night is easily the best thing they've done. Yes, even better than Moon Knight, which you all know I loved. So that's one guy saying that. Um, and I, I sort of agree with him. I think the uh, the Disney Plus shows have kind of been hit or miss, especially lately. I'm not the biggest fan of She-Hulk, and I really did not like Miss Marvel. Uh, I'll read two more here. Eric Italiano. Uh, once again, this is on Twitter. Hashtag Werewolf by Night is the most idiosyncratic 
MCU project since Guardians of the Galaxy as good? No, but it's as remarkable. It's a remarkable breath of fresh air to see Marvel try something like this, as its tone and style are very much that of the trailer. More like this, please. Comics are weird. Let's be weird. Okay, I like that. That was pretty cool. Uh, where this comes from, Joe Aragon. Uh, Werewolf by Night is my favorite Phase Four project since Shang Chi. I think Shang Chi is a little bit overrated, but anyways, uh, he goes on to say, horror fans rejoice. It is, it is horror through and through and a bloody good time an impressive directorial debut from michael giacchino uh oh let's read this one one more uh this comes from eric goldman i love werewolf by night the throwback black and white classic horror approach works perfectly for the story and feels so unique within the mcu it's an exciting example of how they can push boundaries i love to hear stuff like that the casts are great and i hope to see more of them in this type of thing. Okay, so I'll stop reading reviews there. I've read more than enough. You guys get the picture at this point. Um, that really excites me because I was interested in this, but I wasn't really excited. I wanted to hear more. I, want, I wanted to hear stuff like this. This gets me excited. Now, reviews are reviews. Form your own opinion. But you can't deny when you hear good reception, overwhelmingly good reception, that, that gets you excited, right? And it's it, the inverse as well. If you hear nothing but bad things about a movie... You know, you're going to form your own opinion regardless, but you might go in thinking like, damn, you know, maybe I should lower my expectations. Like, who knows, right? But this excites me. Now, my overall thoughts on Werewolf by Night. I have not read the comics. So I don't know much about it. Uh, but my first impression as a kind of a novice to this source material, I think this looks pretty cool. As many of these reviewers have said, it looks very, very different from anything Marvel has done. And I, I, through more research I've done before doing the show today, I found out that a lot of people are also saying that it basically has no ties to the current MCU. There's like no references, no, obviously no, no other characters from the MCU. So, you know, I honestly, I'm kind of a sucker for the MCU. I love the connective tissue. So, you know, but does this, does this specifically need to connect? No, it doesn't. And does it bother me that it doesn't? No. So that's not a big deal. Um, I'm a sucker for the film noir era, and this looks like it's obviously taking a lot of inspiration from that. And since it is black and white, they'll be able to probably be a little bit more violent since they're not going to have to show real blood. Like when you watch Morbius, for example, when he's drinking the blood since it's like a PG-13 movie, or I think I think it's only PG, he has to drink like the sort of blue whatever that was in that film. And then even when he cuts somebody with his claws, uh, you didn't see the blood squibs or, you know, because obviously they, they, they can't do that. So now that this is black and white, I feel like it gives them a little bit more room to play with in terms of how violent they can be. And I'm hearing a lot of people say that this is very violent. Now, when I hear stuff like that and I hear this is dark, this is whatever, I've heard that before. I heard that with Moon Knight. Moon Knight was not even close to how dark and how gritty and how toned down it was as a lot of the early reviews said it was. So I'm taking a lot of this with a grain of salt, but it's nice to see that the overwhelming reviews are not only positive, but I would say they're like celebrating this. So that's very, very exciting. Um, I When does this come out? Uh, Marvel's Hammer Horror Style Halloween Special Werewolf by Night hits Disney Plus on October 7th. Okay, so it's like a, a week from now, basically, like, like two weeks from now. That's sooner than I thought. I thought it was going to come up like towards the end of, of October, kind of like right by Halloween, but the sooner the better. And the runtime, that's something I totally forgot to talk about. So... The direct, uh, by the way, the, all the reviews I just read, that came from an article from Collider. Just thought I'd note that. Um, now, as for the runtime, so this comes from the direct quote. Uh, Twitter user at Big Screen Leak shared the runtime for Marvel Studios' next Disney Plus release, Werewolf by Night, a Marvel Studios special presentation. The special is reportedly just under an hour in length at 52 minutes and 37 seconds, that inclu including credits which is longer than originally expected. Uh, yeah, so it's longer than I expected because that's something, once again, that I've been thinking about. I knew it wasn't going to be feature length. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be, like, an hour and a half or an hour and 40. I would have loved that, but it's not. I just don't think Marvel's ready to fully make a film ex that's exclusively on uh, Disney+. Plus. You know what I mean? Like, without a theatrical release. So I don't think Marvel's ready to do that quite yet. But I'm glad that this isn't just, like, some 25-minute, 30-minute including credits, you know, thing, right? Like a lot of some of the Marvel Disney Plus shows. That, I think that's one of my biggest problems with She-Hulk. These episodes are 30 minutes with credits. So in reality, you're watching like a 25-minute episode. 
And especially the last episode of She-Hulk didn't really accomplish anything. It just showed a, a wedding and, and I'm not going to get into She-Hulk. But yeah, so I'm glad that this is a relatively beefy kind of, you know, Mar Marvel piece of content. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. When that comes out, you will get my full review, of course, on Unbashful. Uh, so that's it for that topic. Now let's move on. I'm going to talk about Better Call Saul. So when it comes to TV shows, I am very, very picky, right? Because you got to think of it this way. When you watch a film and you watch a you know a movie, I just said that twice. I don't know why. When you watch a movie, it's, you know, on average about two hours. That's two hours. You watch it once. Even if you felt the film wasn't good, you lost two hours of your life, okay? When it comes to a TV show, however, that's a commitment, right? You're busy. You value your time. Do you want to commit 40 hours of that, whatever, mathematically, to, to an entire eight-season, six-season show? You got to ask yourself that question because it's basically a commitment. Whereas, like, you can watch a film, you watch it once, you love it, great. You didn't, well, you know. You didn't lose that much, right? But a show requires a lot of your time if you want to give up that time. So I've only seen in full length like four shows in my entire life, like from season one to the last season of the show. So when it comes to Better Call Saul, I was a big fan of the James McGill character in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, yes, in fact, is one of those four shows I've seen from season one to season five, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite shows ever. One of the only shows I've seen ever. And as I've been getting older, I've been getting very busy, so it's hard for me to even find the time to watch a TV show, let alone if I want to watch it in the first place. And I've heard about Better Call Saul. And when I started the first season, it took me a while to get through it, but I did like it. I liked it enough to give it that chance, to give it that first you know, full season. For me, most of the time, if I'm not hooked in by that first episode, I'm gone. You know, I've talked to people in the past and they had this three episode rule, too much time. If I don't like it from the first episode, I'm moving on. And I really liked that pilot episode of Better Call Saul with this sort of, you know, the, the scam that those two guys are doing when they sort of jump in front of cars and they're like, what are you going to do? How are you going to make the situation right? Give us money. We won't call the cops. I like that first episode. However, the rest of the season, you know, Nothing crazy happened. It's very similar to the first season of Breaking Bad. You know, we're kind of establishing the world. Uh, although, I mean, there wasn't as much world building in the first season because we're already familiar with Albuquerque. We're, we already know that this takes place before Breaking Bad and, and so on. Um, but you have to establish some of the characters, the supporting characters, and, and, and you know, the rest of the people around our main character. And, uh, of course, if you watch Better Call, if you watch Breaking Bad, you already had a sense of the Jimmy or the Saul Goodman character, but of course this show now delves deeper into his life. And I am now on season four. I'm about to start the finale of season four. So I'm basically done season four, about to start uh, season five. And do not spoil the, the show for me. I'm still in the middle of it. Uh, I, I've already, I have an idea of what happens towards the end. I've seen a couple of clips, but I don't want to know like for sure what happens. So please do not spoil it for me. I would really, really appreciate that. But let me just say, this is, one of the best shows I've ever seen. I love this show. This show is incredible. And the thing is, is that as I'm watching this show more, this could be considered a, an insult, but it's not. This is a compliment to the show in its entirety. Obviously, Saul Goodman, James McGill is the, the star. He is one of my favorite characters, but you sometimes throughout the, throughout the series, you find the other characters' arcs more interesting at times, not all the time, right? It always falls back to James McGill. You always want to know what's going to happen with him, especially how each season each season starts. It shows where he's at currently after the events of Breaking Bad with the Cinnabon stuff. So that's obviously intriguing, and you know that eventually through each season, they're going to build up to and give us that answer as to what's happening. But the stuff with, that happened with Chuck, the stuff with Kim Wexler, the stuff with HHN, like... That's st the stuff with Nacho and, 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 uh, and Mike, that stuff is so interesting. And right now, 
Obviously, James McGill is my favorite character, but besides him, my favorite character is probably Kim Wexler, and she's grown on me a lot. That first season, didn't they didn't really develop her character that much. She, she was kind of boring. I didn't really care about her. Like I, I could tell that obviously her and Jimmy had some kind of history. I could tell that there was some chemistry between them, but... They didn't really uh, give her her character a lot of moments, a lot of a lot a lot of screen time compared to season two, and and now she's one of my favorites. She's got this like fire in her. She's 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 you can tell that she's very driven. She's very focused. She's very loyal to Jimmy. She obviously recognizes a lot of the clear, you know, law breaking mistakes that he's done. Uh, obviously, you should not support that, but the fact that she sticks with him, it's obviously a conflict of interest for her own job. She's a lawyer. She wants to honor the law, and you can tell she cares about it, but she'll turn a blind eye for Jimmy, which, you know, obviously that's technically wrong, but, like, you can see that she's loyal to him. She's she's giving her all to him, um, and... Yeah, and the, I'd say as a, as a viewer, as an audience member, the, the most interesting and engaging thing about the show is the question of right and wrong, of morale, of ethics, right? Because you look at the character of Chuck. Chuck is a is a very fascinating character as well because he's kind of a he's kind of a hard ass, right? He's not very likable. But you can't deny everything he has said and accused Jimmy of is true. Everything Every criticism, everything he's everything he's done, the whole being of his character, there's nothing morally and objectively wrong with him. Everything he has said, all you know, aside from you know some things here and there, like for example, the last thing he said to Jimmy before he died, I never really cared about you. That was cruel, obviously. Um, but every time he's ripped him apart, you know, everything with the whole court thing, like he he's never been wrong. Everything he's pointed out about Jimmy has been correct, but you find yourself caring about Jimmy. You find like you can, you recognize that he's probably not a great person, but he's, is he a bad person? Like that's a question you kind of ask yourself. You know what I mean? Clearly he cuts corners. He, he definitely breaks the law, which is we all, as an audience member, you recognize that's bad, but you find yourself constantly having this conversation with yourself of, of discussing this dichotomy of like, he does these bad things, but like, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's very engaging as a, as an audience member, when you're constantly having these conversations with not only yourself, but people who watch the show as well. It's, it's like I said, that's, if a show can do that, that's great, right? If you just tune in and nothing's happening and you're bored, that's not good. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, Overall, I won't ramble any longer. I am really, really enjoying it. I thought I would just talk about it because I haven't talked about it. I wanted to wait more and more and watch the show more. And uh, once I'm done, then I'll talk spoilers. But uh, yeah, once again, please do not spoil the ending. Um, but I am very, very much enjoying the show. And it is one of the best shows I have ever seen. From There is not a single character in the show that I do not like. And I like how they're exploring more of Gus Fring's arc in the show as well. Even down to Don Hector, you know what I mean? Like, I, I this the show is incredible so far. So, and I think it's only going to get better. Um, but let me know what you guys think about Better Call Saul. Spoilers free down in the comments below. So, I want to talk about Avengers King Dynasty for the final uh, topic here for today. And Avengers King Dynasty comes out May second of two thousand twenty-five. So that's the next Avengers film, and then right after that, in November, we're getting Secret Wars, which two Avengers films in the same year. That is that's insane because I remember when we got Infinity War, we had that cliffhanger ending. We had to wait a whole year to then get the follow-up to that, which is Endgame. Uh, now, you know, depending on if they decide to end with a cliffhanger or not, we're only gonna have to wait about roughly six months. So that's that's awesome. Um, but I'm a little bit worried about Kang Dynasty specifically. I'm not worried about Secret Wars, but Kang Dynasty, I'm a little bit concerned about for one reason, and that's scheduling. And that more specifically has to do with Destin Daniel Cretton, the director uh, for Avengers Kang Dynasty. Now, if you're familiar with him, he's a great director and he directed Shang-Chi, which a lot of people love. I enjoyed it. Didn't think it was as good as most people say it is, but I'm on board for him being the director for this for the for the fifth Avengers film. But what concerns me is that 
Now, this part here is up for speculation. This hasn't been confirmed, but I think a lot of, there's been different reports that Destin Daniel Cretton will also direct the sequel to Shang-Chi, which only makes sense given how successful the first one was. And he's going to be producing the Wonder Man series that's coming, which once again, hasn't been officially announced, but we've heard throughout the trades that there is a Wonder Man series happening. Uh, so he is going to be a very, very busy man with Marvel. Now, Shang-Chi 2 has a reported date of, I know it's it's been reported that it's going to be coming out at some point in 2025 as well. Uh, Shang-Chi 2 release date. Okay. All right. So let me see. Let me see. Let me see. The okay. So yeah, the direct reported that a rumor, for, this is quote from them. A rumor from the r slash Marvel Studios spoilers Reddit page noted that Marvel Studio Studios is eyeing a February 14th, 2025 release date for the sequel to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That kind of makes sense uh, in, in terms of a scheduling, you know, it gives them time to work on the script. But once again, that concerns me a little bit because now we know that that film is going to be coming out in, at, at least as of right now. Like I said, take it with a grain of salt. It is a rumor, but... If this is true, that means this film will be coming out in the same year as Kang Dynasty. And if it's also true that Destin Daniel Cretton will be directing this film, how are the productions going to line up, right? Because if that's true, if this is true and he's directing the sequel, he's probably going to have to start filming this very shortly while still trying to, you know, work with everybody and come up and create the Kang Dynasty. I just, I don't, I don't know. It concerns me a little bit. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. I'm not in like panic mode. I'm sure the film will, I'm still, you know, optimistic. And, and obviously with Kevin Feige producing it, you know, I have the utmost trust in him. But I got to say, I'm a little bit uh, worried about this. More so than people discussing how two Avengers films in the same year. The reason why I'm not concerned about that is because I believe that we will have completely different directors for both of those films. Now, is it going to be a lot for the actors and everybody? Yes, sure, possibly. But I mean, you know, if they could do it with Avengers, or if they did it with Endgame and, and Infinity War, I'm sure that they can do it for Secret. Obviously, you know, these films are going to be closer together. So it, it, it will, this whole thing will be a challenge. Every, making any movie is challenging, right? But these are professionals. These are people that have worked in this industry for a long time. And many of these actors are already familiar with the whole Marvel schedule and how things are constantly being made. And, and, and so I'm sure this is nothing new for them. It will be a challenge, but I'm not worried that there's two Avengers films coming out in the same year. That doesn't worry me at all. What worries me is that if De Destin Daniel Cretton is in fact directing the Shang-Chi sequel and producing the Wonder Man series, that's two other projects aside from Kang Dynasty, then he has to work on the Kang Dynasty. And at that point, that'll be the first Avengers film in almost six years. That'll be a very, very big deal. And then, of course, Secret Wars is another animal in and of itself. But that film needs to be good. You know what I'm saying? So that'll be a lot to juggle. But maybe I'm kind of jumping jumping the gun here. Uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. So that's pretty much going to wrap today's podcast here. But... Uh, I want to talk about one thing here before we wrap up for my NBA uh, fans out there. Well, not fans of me in the NBA, obviously. Don't play in the NBA. But for fans of the NBA, and I don't really talk about basketball very much on this channel. Like I said, we're, we're, uh, we're primarily a movie, film, and television coverage channel here. But I am very, very passionate about basketball. I play it for fun. I'm not that good. Um, and I love watching and paying attention to the NBA. So I thought it'd be fun to wrap up this episode if I gave my quick top five players heading into the season. I think this would be fun because I know a lot of you are going to disagree with me. And that's perfectly okay. You're entitled to your opinion. Uh, let me know what your list is down in the comments below. But this is mine and I'm sticking to it. So if you disagree, it is what it is. If you agree, cool. My top five. I'm just going to run through this quick. I'm not going to go through each player. You guys know who these guys are. Uh, number five is Nikola Jokic, obviously the most recent. I keep having to remind myself that he has won the MVP the past two years. I just, I, I, I forget it all the time. Uh, Nikola Jokic, I kind of juggled having him or Embiid in that spot. I went back and forth, but I think I settled with uh, Jokic. Number four, Giannis. Number three, Steph Curry. This is where it's going to get interesting, and I know a lot of you are going to disagree with me here. 
Uh, number two is Katie and number one is LeBron. Of course, if any of you know me, if, if you're a friend of mine and you're watching this, you know who you are. Uh, even if you're not a friend of mine, if you just know me, you know I'm a big LeBron fan. And do I have a little, a little bit of a bias here? Yes, I do. I will completely admit that. However, one thing I want to remind you, okay? LeBron, I think, ranked, I think he finished second last year, or he at least finished top three in points per game. Now, I know that could be considered empty stats because they didn't make the playoffs, but a lot of things contributed to that happening. Health, a lot of guys didn't even play last year at all. I don't think Kendrick Nunn even played a minute last year. So there's injuries left and right, of course, but that's a part of the game. I understand that. But I think LeBron is going to remind us this year uh, that I, I personally believe he's still the best player in the world. That's my opinion. If you disagree, you disagree, but you're not going to change my thoughts on it. And number two, KD. Uh, KD, I think, is still one of the arguably, I'd say he's probably the best scorer still playing in the NBA today. And I think the reason why him and LeBron, for a lot of people, especially ESPN, I saw their list, have they, they've fallen is because I think of health. And, and, and I think of, and obviously, you know, the playoffs and everything like that had something to do with it. But I feel like we've had some, so much time separated from these guys. I think once the season starts, they're going to remind everyone that these are the two best players in the NBA. With all due respect to Steph, I know he just won the championship. Rightfully deserve his finals MVP. He should have two finals MVPs, in my opinion. And of course, Giannis and, and Jokic, they are absolute monsters. And these are all fantastic players. Nothing against them. Um, but yeah, let me know what your list is heading into the season down in the comments below. Anyways, everyone, that's going to wrap up today's podcast. If you stuck around for this long, I want to thank you very much for giving, sharing your time with me. And I hope you enjoy the content. If you did, please let me know how you feel about it down in the comments below. Share it, like it, subscribe. Uh, and I'll see all you guys on the next video. Have a great night or great morning wherever you are.